From the epistle of James, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Every time I read that gospel, I'm reminded of a cartoon I saw in seminary. It was a guy, if I thought of it, I would have put it in the bulletin this week. It was a guy on, on crutches with one foot missing, and an eye gouged out, and an arm cut off, and it said, I love Jesus. Something like that. It's kind of funny. Anyway, we're not going to talk about that today. Today, we are going to wrap up the uh, Epistle of James, put a bow on it, and then next week, we're going to kick off with, for a short series on the, uh, on the book of Job, an Old Testament book. And so anyway, we, I was diving into the text from today, and I was reminded of a guy named Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know who he is, right? It's kind of famous guy. You know, before he was the governor of California before he was the Terminator. I love that movie, man, but the first one. But before he was the governor, before he was the Terminator, Schwarzenegger was actually a bodybuilder. Big surprise. And he started bodybuilding and training at the age of 15. Later on, by the age of 20, he was Mr. Universe, and then later on down the road, Mr. Olympus, whatever that is, several times over. But the point I want to bring him out with Arnold Schwarzenegger today is not the Terminator, and I'm not going to try to make fun of his uh, accent, though I kind of want to, but I won't. Um, I w- one thing I, I must, I've really admired about him is that Schwarzenegger was a determined guy, right? He, his focus was always on the end goal. Let me give you an example. Schwarzenegger would tell all of his trainees that would come to him to to, uh, you know, put on muscle and become bodybuilders, that, that 90% of bodybuilding is mental here. He said, he used to say, you must picture what you want to look like. You must picture what you want your body to become, listen, in order to achieve it. And again, this is nothing new. If you spend any time in industrial psychology, which I did in grad school, you know that a lot of accomplishing a goal is knowing that goal and picturing that you can actually achieve it. You must know what you want to get there. Like my dad used to say to me when I was a kid, He'd say, if you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there, right? Now, it's one thing to want a goal, right? I I would really love to be a 6'5", 280-pound linebacker for the Giants. That will never happen. Uh, But a, a real goal, a real vision must be attainable. It must be real. So here's the thing I want to jump on today as we wrap up James, because James ends with some really good advice about this whole idea of the end goal. What on earth are you here for? Success in life, friends, means navigating this life on earth. But to do that, you see, like Schwarzenegger would say, like my dad would tell me, to do that, to live life, you've got to know where you're going. You've got to know the end game, and you've got to know how to get there. James says this thing remarkably in his verses 7 and 8 of our epistle from this morning, he says, Be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What's that got to do with the goal and success? I'm going to tell you. Two points. I want to look today at the importance of patience. Be patient. Twice, James says. Be patient, brethren. I'm going to get into that in a second. And then secondly, the first point is, we're going to look at the importance of patience in life. And then secondly, where do we establish our heart? 
James says it right there. Be patient and establish your heart. Those are my two points. So we're going to dive into that today. Point number one is the importance of patience. James says in verse 7 and again in verse 8, be patient. Let me ask you a question. Because if you don't think about stuff, you may be, you don't think about stuff, then you're not really putting your mind to the test of what you could be understanding here. Uh, Let me ask you a question. What does it mean? What does it actually mean to be patient? What does it mean? You might think, well, to me, patient, at least I'll tell you the truth. When I think of patience, from my mind, it's putting up with something that you don't really like, right? You want to get angry. You're kind of frustrated. you're you're, You're in a hurry. You're in a hurry to get to an appointment, and you're at the dry cleaners, for example, and some lady just can't seem to get her stuff together. Just saying. For me, being patient is not overreacting, right? To me, being patient, you know, it's just, you know, keeping calm when you really want to charge, right? But that's actually not the word here. The Greek word here that James uses two times is a really cool word. There's really no equivalent in English, but I'm going to tell you it. It's a Greek word, matharemio, patience, macarena, macarthemio. And this word, listen, this is such a cool thing, and it will change the way you see this text. This word that's translated patience in the Greek, it means to exercise control, listen, exercise control and restraint under suffering. This word here that James uses means to exercise control and restraint under suffering, under difficult circumstances. I mean, just the other day, just the other day, just Saturday, actually, I was working out, and I was watching a documentary. I think it was called The President's Cabinet. It was about George Bush on 9-11-2001, right, the day that the towers were were run into, and it's a documentary that goes through people that were in the president's cabinet, in real, and they're talking in this interview about that day. It's a great, um, great documentary. I commend it to you. But anyway, you know, the whole cast of characters is there. Condi Rice, Dick Cheney, uh, George W. Bush, all describing the events as they unfolded on that terrible Tuesday morning. And there's this one scene that illustrates this Greek word, that I'm trying to get to this morning of patience. There's one scene, and you know it. President Bush was in Sarasota, Florida, right? He, was, uh, he sat in the classroom of a bunch of children. Kay Daniels was her name. Kay Daniels' classroom, as her students read to the president, the pet goat. Anybody here ever read the pet goat? I never have. But as you know the scene, he's sitting in his chair, the, the teacher's reading the pet goat to the president of the United States, and the second plane hit Tower 2. Bush is the only guy who doesn't yet know it. And White House Chief of Staff goes over, Andy Card goes over, he taps, you know this, you know this, he leans over to President Bush, and he whispers in his ear, and I quote, a second plane hit the second tower, America is under attack. You know what I'm talking, you know the scene, right? Look at Bush's reaction. His reaction is remarkable. He's calm. He doesn't overreact. Makrotheo means this exact thing. To be in the midst of a difficult, suffering, uncertain time and hold it together. Keeping control under difficult, stressful, dangerous, confusing circumstances. James says, When you suffer, when you struggle, he says, be patient. Establish your heart. I'll get to that in a second. 
But it's usually important to be patient. And he says, be patient. And he says, why? He says, why and how? We'll get to the how in a minute. He says, be patient, listen, until the coming of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Look, as Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ died, was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven. And if you don't know what that means, I'll be preaching that later on in in the year or next year. He didn't float up into the sky, but he ascends into some alternative reality, which is heaven, as a physical being. And Jesus says he is coming back, and Scripture says repeatedly that Christ will return in the same way that he came. He will leave his throne and come back to earth. Heaven and earth will be reunited. Eden, friends, will be restored. All the stuff your heart yearns for, all the stuff that you crave, all the injustice on the world, when Christ returns, the dead shall be resurrected. We say it in the creed every week. Evil will be judged, listen, and the world will be set to rights. All evils righted, all suffering ceased, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 2, verse 15. We'll talk about this in detail, what this means, the Sundays, the Sundays before Christmas, but what James is saying, and this is so important, and I want to commend this to you to really think about it. James says, when you suffer, when you struggle, when you're questioning, when you're not sure, stay steady. And stay steady, keep your wits about you, not because you're here, but because you're there. You are waiting for the Lord's return. You're waiting for him to come back. He says, like a farmer who farms, he plants his seed, and he waits for the rain. He knows the rain is coming. He knows it. He's a farmer. That's what farmers do. James says, you know the Lord is returning, so be patient, steadfast, hold steady, not in some sort of stoic exercise. Oh, no. Stay steady, listen, until the coming of the Lord. Until, he says, wait until the end game. Friends, when you understand that, if you understand that, and I will confess to you, I never thought about this until I was a priest, until I was the rector of Trinity Church in Red Bank. But I will tell you this, when you understand this, that the Christian life is all about two things, learning to trust God, and you learn to trust him by trusting him and see that he delivers. That's point one. And the second point of the Christian life, this life we live right now, is to tr- learn to trust God and to wait expectantly, longingly for his returns. If you keep your eyes up, your eyes focused on the big picture, the goal, the end goal, when you remember where you are going and that Jesus has a plan for you and this world, friends, you can be patient no matter what the world throws at you. He's got this. So let me ask you a question. I love to do this. It's important. Turn it around. This is not a lecture. Where in your life are you struggling right now? You all, everyone's got something, right? Could be big. Could be small. Maybe it's failing health of someone you love. Maybe it's someone close to you who almost recently died. Maybe you are worried about raising children in a culture which is increasingly getting more and more hostile to the Christian faith. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you've been cheated. Maybe you've got an 11.30 golf time and you're hoping I can wrap this up so you can be out of here in time. I don't know. <laughs> but here's the point. And this is, a, this is important, friends. It's pastoral. James is pastoral. James says, hold steady. Be patient. The end is already won. The game is over. We know how this ends, right? 
On D-Day plus one, when the Allies invaded Germany, right? D-Day plus one, everybody knew the game was over. Everybody knew the war was over. Even the Germans knew it. There was more suffering and more struggle, but everyone knew the end result. James says, listen, stay focused. You know how this ends. Think of something in your life right now that causes you stress or worry or emotional pain or fear, big or small. Because every single one of us, friends, deals with this every single day. We live in a fallen and broken world. And the question is, as James is saying, what do you do? Do you whine and complain and point fingers and make excuses? You ever heard of a guy named Lou Holtz, former coach at Notre Dame? I love Lou Holtz. A Christian, by the way, a very faithful one. He once said in his commencement address, he said, you know, he said, don't complain. He said, 90% of people don't want to hear it. And the other 10% are glad you're suffering. <laughs> it's good advice. But that, friends, is what the world does. They complain, cast blame, point fingers, poor me, seek revenge. But for the Christian, James says, listen, we remain patient in suffering, not in some stoic exercise, but because we know the end game. We know that when Christ returns, the dead shall be raised, and he will set the world to rights. Jesus himself says this, and if he tells the truth, and he does, then we got to believe him. So James says, be patient, point one, right? Hold steady. And he also shows us, point number two, how. Let me show you this. Point number two, I said, the point number two is how that we are called to establish our hearts. Jesus tell, uh, John, sorry, James tells us how to remain patient. He says in verse 7, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Then in verse 8, he says, you also be patient. Establish your heart. Right? He expands the idea. Establish your heart. What does that mean? Well, the heart, in biblical language, the heart is not what 21st century people think of. We think of the heart as emotions, Right? all the things we love to do, but the heart in, the, in Scripture, cardia, means the sum total of who you are, your guts, your core, what makes you, you. And James says, establish your heart, your guts, for Jesus' return. There's an old expression, and it's true for you and for me, that everybody lives, everybody lives for something. Everyone's heart is established somewhere on something. Again, Arnold Schwarzenegger's point, put your heart where you want to go so that you can become it. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If you want to be patient, you want to be steadfast, you want to be courageous, what do you live for? Most people never stop to think about this, which is why I'm causing you, asking you to think about it. What do you live for? What is your end goal? Let me challenge you this morning, friends, to think about this and establish, put your heart where God wants you to put it, where God tells you it should be because he's the only one that can never let you down. Notice something here important. James is saying establish your heart. It's an act of the will. It's a decision for you to put your heart where you want it to be. Establish your heart. Take ownership. Own where your desires lead. Establish it on Christ's second coming. Keep your head up and your eyes straight. I said to you a minute ago, I'd never thought about this before until I was maybe 35 years old. Like most Episcopalians, most Roman Catholics, I grew up in a Roman Catholic uh, household, nominally. We didn't really go to church much as a family, but I'll be honest with you, friends, 
I never thought about the end of the world. And most mainliners never do. I think, I think the mainline church is kind of embarrassed by it. You know, it's too fundamentalist or something. I don't know. But that's a big mistake. It's a huge mistake. I'll tell you why. When I was the rector of Trinity Church in Red Bank, New Jersey, and if you've heard this story before, forgive me, I'm going to say it anyway. There was a woman, I met a girl, her name was Bertha Hollick. Bertha was 85 years old. Bertha Hollick was maybe, maybe five foot tall, soaking wet, standing on a, on a chair, right? She was small, she was feeble by her physical appearance, but man, she was a rock. That woman had such faith. Ever been around somebody whose faith is so strong, you can feel it? This woman could pray, and her heart was so firmly established on the second coming of Jesus. Her whole life, her whole heart was established on that fact. And I will never forget her. Her husband, John, had Alzheimer's at the time. He's since died. But we would pray. We'd pray together. And she would end every prayer. And at first, it freaked me out, and now I get it. We'd, at the end of our prayers, we'd say, Amen. And then she would say in this little voice, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And at first, it freaked me out. But she's right. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. She was tough, birthaholic. She was bold. She was fearless because her heart was established on the end game. She knew where she was going. She knows how this ends. And she also knew, friends, that Jesus, when he returns, will put all things to right. You know, the, the older I get, and I learn to walk with the Lord more closely, to know him better, to know his ways, to trust him more and more in my life, and the lives of those under my pastoral care. The more this happens to me, the more that I wrestle and struggle and suffer, the more my heart is firmly fixed on him. And the more that my heart is firmly fixed on him, the more that I realize that the things of this world cannot and will not ever deliver what I want them to do, they can't do it. But he can. And the more that my heart becomes established on the Lord and his return, the more patient I become the less I worry about things beyond my control. The more, you know what, I let God be God, (laughs) frankly. I do what I can do, and I leave the rest of the Lord and his providence. The less frustration I have, the less anxiety I have, the less worry I have, the less less, agitation about the state of the world. You know, today is a very, I don't do politics in the pulpit, but I do as illustration sometimes, and I'm going to do it on both sides here. There's so many people today that are just really upset with the way we're going, you know, with Biden's uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, for example, or, to be fair, Donald Trump saying and doing things which, quite frankly, make me cringe sometimes, right? Either way, wherever you are, the point I want you to see here is that we get so engaged in the politics of 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 our nation that we forget that it's way beyond our control. Yes, we should vote. Yes, we should vote for the rights of the unborn. We should vote to protect the lives of innocent people. We should vote to promote free speech, even when we don't like it. That's the whole point. These are all good things, friends, but at the end of the day, all we can do is what we can do and put the matter to rest because Jesus is the consummate fixer. So, let me challenge you this morning, friends, to establish your heart on him to establish your heart on the end game, knowing that no matter what happens in this world, 
Christ will return and he will set the world to rights. And when you know that, you can face anything because you know the game is already won. Establish your heart on him, friends. He's got this. He's got you. Just keep your eyes on the big picture. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on Jesus when he will return and set the world to rights. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for James, for his epistle, which challenges us to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Even as we strive to live more faithfully, to become the men and women you want us to be, most importantly, Lord, give us steadfast and patient hearts. Establish our hearts waiting for Christ's return. Casting all our fears and worries on you and establishing our hearts on Jesus as we wait for his return. And all God's people said, Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook. 